Imagine if you could sit down at your desk in the morning, piping hot coffee in hand, you could pop open your laptop, double click on a document on your desktop that says life plan, so you could check on what's happening this week, this month, or even this year. Well, I wanna help you create that plan. Let's spend five days together making a roadmap for your future so that you can live all the rest of your days on purpose. Yes, you can own the future that's coming your way. The five-day Own Your Future Challenge is absolutely free to join, and I've got a spot with your name on it. Don't let another week, month, year, or even decade pass you by without owning the vision for who you want to become and the impact you want to make while you're alive. This is five free days of learning from incredible world leaders, helping you to uncover who you truly are and leading you to craft a roadmap and set goals aligned with the future meant for you. This is important. Join me and other amazing global leaders and experts to help you own your future starting May 11th. You can join right now for free at jennaschallenge.com. That's jennaschallenge.com for the five-day Own Your Future Challenge. I can't wait to see you there. I think a lot of people get overwhelmed with where to start in the impact space, but I think it's really important to remember that every little thing you do matters. Hey, my name is Jenna Kutcher, and I am obsessed with all things business, marketing, numbers, and helping you to navigate both the messy and the magical seasons of this thing called life. I'm a small town mama who took a $300 camera, grew a successful photo biz, and now I work from home and run a seven-figure online business. I teach you the tried and true secrets to building a career you adore. Shy away from the real talk? (laughs) No way. Money, hardship, growth, loss, and marketing are all topics we discuss here. Think of this as your one-stop shop for happy hour with a gal pal mixed with business school. Pull up a seat, make sure you're cozy, and get ready to be challenged and encouraged while you learn. This is the Gold Digger Podcast. Are you curious about the inner workings of a nonprofit? Have you thought maybe a nonprofit could be your calling? Are you entrepreneurial minded and want to impact the world with the business you build? This episode is created for you. Hannah Scavarla started The Little Market alongside Lauren Conrad because they wanted to find a meaningful way to give back. Their goal was to create a sustainable way to help women around the world break the cycle of poverty and create a better future for themselves and for their families. The shop is stunning, but the mission behind it makes each item even more beautiful. I am so excited for Hannah to share what the early days of the little market looked like, how she and Lauren partnered and leveraged each other's gifts to build the organization, and her advice for getting started on your own nonprofit to celebrate and support a cause that is close to your heart. Are you ready? Let's go. Hey, real quick, I created a free 10-page guide to help you survive this strange, unprecedented season of entrepreneurship. The Small Business Survival Guide gives tangible, actionable steps for you to take based on your business type. It includes 30 ideas for Instagram posts, gives templates to help you communicate, and so much more. Get the free guide at jennacutcher.com slash smallbizsurvival. That's jennacutcher.com slash smallbizsurvival. 
Now more than ever is the best time to start your email list. Are you up for a challenge? I built out a free mini course to take your list from zero to 250 subscribers, templates and tech all included. Sign up at listbuildchallenge.com. That's listbuildchallenge.com. Hannah, I am so excited to be connecting with you today. Welcome to the show. Thank you. And thank you so much for having me. Oh, this is going to be such a fun conversation. So I told you before we hit record that I am obsessed with what you've curated and just what you've created. But for anyone who doesn't know the story behind the little market and your founding journey, can you share a little bit about how you got to where you are today? Yes, of course. So the Little Market is a nonprofit shop that I co-founded with Lauren Conrad. The two of us actually met in fashion school like t- more than 10 years ago now. And we were in classes together and Lauren was really, really good at drawing. I mean, she can totally do fashion sketches. She can draw anything. And I was always fascinated by that because I can't draw. Like even my <laughs> smiley face is kind of a bummer. <laughs> and so I had had the opportunity to travel a lot growing up, specifically to see nonprofit work on the ground. And when I would share stories of those trips with Lauren, she was like, you have to, I, I want to go. I want to see the world. I want to see, I want to learn more about the nonprofit space. You know, because at that time she had already written a bunch of New York Times bestselling novels. So she had traveled all over the US for book tours, but hadn't really had the opportunity to travel internationally the way I had. So fast forward to what we planned a trip to visit Kenya and Tanzania, specifically to see nonprofits on the ground that were working to support women and children. And everywhere we would stop throughout the trip, they were selling beautiful handmade goods that were really specific to that region. You know, even if it was something as typical as basket weaving, the different patterns would change from kind of village to village. Like each community had their own specific designs and skill sets. So on that journey at that point, we had kind of thought, let's figure out a really cool, different way to give back. And Lauren's a very big thinker. You know, she's very much more of, well, if you can teach someone a fish rather than give them a fish, then they have a skill for life. And it's a really, you know, it's a more sustainable way to give back. So we began talking about this concept of an online marketplace, you know, after seeing all these beautiful handmade goods, knowing that our friends would love them. But the biggest hurdle was how do we actually get them to the US, especially because these are people who have probably not shipped to the US before or gone through customs or packaging or even pricing. So over about the next year, we met with experts in international development and kind of shipping and customs and learned as much as we possibly could because we wanted to make sure we were doing everything right. Just everything from making sure that we offered to pay for products upfront. So the cost of the materials wasn't a burden on the artisans because when someone's in living in extreme poverty, there's literally no extra money. So if someone had to pay for the products upfront themselves or pay for the materials, they'd have to be choosing between materials and food for themselves and their family. So these were the types of things we wanted to learn so that we could make sure that we were always doing as much good as possible and really looking at the whole picture of how this affected the people we were helping. So we launched in 2013 at that point with about eight artisan groups because it was really just the two of us. And now we have nearly 70 artisan groups with products for, yeah, from over 30 countries. So it's been really exciting to be able to grow that and be able to grow the number of people we're helping. 
That's incredible. Tell me a little bit more. I'm just so curious about how you had the opportunities to travel and see some of the mission work being done. Like, what was your childhood like that allowed those opportunities? Because that's amazing. Yeah, it's a really good question. Growing up, my parents really emphasized the importance of giving back. So rather than doing a spring break trip to something like Cabo, we would go somewhere like El Salvador and build a house. So growing up, my parents really emphasized that when you have opportunities, it's your responsibility to give back. They really wanted each of their kids, my siblings, to figure out how to kind of make giving back part of their everyday life or part of a lifelong commitment. So when we had the opportunity to travel, it was often with nonprofits. So we could see their work on the ground, meet the people that they were helping, and really learn as much as possible. That's amazing. I want to know, so you said it in passing, but it's really huge to talk about how the little market scaled. So I want to know first, what did the early days of the little market look like? The early days were hectic. I mean, everything, (laughs) as you know, when you're starting a business, it's everything from figuring out what's our name to what's the logo to what does the website look like to how do you build a website? It was really a, a year of learning. And because our goal with this was always to create job opportunities for women in vulnerable communities, you know, everything from women who have survived trafficking to formerly homeless women right here in LA, we always wanted to be as just thoughtful with every spend as possible. So we really spent as little money as possible because we always wanted it to be reinvested in those women. So we bootstrapped, you know, so (laughs) for the early days, I was, I met with a web designer who was a friend of ours, but I was the one kind of doing all the back end product uploading. You know, I was just thinking back to our first photo shoot where it was my brother and a friend of ours. And of course, the models were friends of ours too. We really relied on our community to help us do this for the least amount of money possible. I love that. And I love how most successful businesses bootstrap. Like that's how you get things going. We didn't have teams and developers and all those things. So it kind of helps to know that we're all just kind of putting one imperfect foot in front of the other all at the beginning. Correct. (laughs) Correct. And I think there's so much learning that way. I mean, now we have a bigger team who does so many of the things we used to do, but I have a sense of what each of those roles requires because at one point, those were all things we were doing. And I think it's so important to understand the value of your team and how much each of those roles requires and what responsibilities come with it. So oh, I love that. Okay, so speaking of roles, I'm so curious. So I have to like unabashedly proclaim that I really love Lauren Conrad. Um, You're not I alone. Feel, I know. I feel <laughs> like I just grew up with her. Like she's like my friend. But I want to know what your different skill sets are. Like I believe we all kind of have these mm-hmm. superpowers, like these secret sauces. So mm-hmm. I'm curious what hers is and what you think yours is and like how they work together to help create such a beautiful end result. Yeah. I mean, Lauren's skill set is it's unbelievable. I mean, she has so many skills and everything she does, she's really good at. So I know it's, it's wild. Everything from, <laughs> like I said, like she could literally, if she had the free time, could sketch anything she wanted. You know, she can illustrate, she can really do it. She can write like she, her skills are wild. Her design sense is unbelievable, both with fashion and home decor. Her house always looks perfect. Her outfits always look perfect, even if it's at the airport, which baffles me. I never understand that. (laughs) But, and she, she's really, really smart. You know, she doesn't, anything she decides to get behind, she's done all of her research and she's there a hundred percent. 
So as far as Lauren's skills, they're really all over the place. I mean, of course, there's a lot of creative skill, but she also just really knows what she's doing and she takes her time to learn as much as possible and make sure she's doing things the right way. I love that. What would Lauren say about you? Because I know it's awkward to say, well, here's what I'm really good at. But if Lauren were on the show right now, which we should have invited her on, what would she say Hannah's secret sauce is? Um, She would tell you that I can talk to anybody. Oh, I and, love that. I mean, we always laugh. Like sometimes we'll get out of a taxi and somehow by the end, like the taxi driver is giving me a hug and she's just like <laughs> her mouth drops. She's like, I don't understand what happened. <laughs> but I love meeting people. I love talking to people. And yeah. So maybe that's, that's amazing. Okay, so let's talk about making an impact with your business. I think mm-hmm. a lot of people desire to create impact, whether it's through starting a nonprofit or donating a portion of their revenue or giving back in different ways. I know that's something that's super important to me. So yeah. when did you first see the impact your business was making on the lives of women? Oh, that's a good question. For us, it was really immediate. I mean, even with our first product purchases, that was money coming to people that wouldn't otherwise have that income. So we were able to see that, you know, really early on and that's what kept us going. And then with every reorder we'd place, we'd get incredible positive feedback of, Oh, you know, now this person gets to work full-time instead of part-time or we're hiring more women because of your orders. And so obviously that really tangible impact keeps us incredibly motivated. I think a lot of people get overwhelmed with where to start in the impact space. But I think it's really important to remember that every little thing you do matters. So even for your brand, if you're selling products and you decide we're going to not use plastic in our packaging, that's a huge commitment. And that's a huge... That all adds up to huge impact. Same with if you decide to use recycled materials, both for the paper in your office and your packaging. All of that matters. If you're able to give a little bit of your proceeds to a charitable organization that you are excited about, that's impact. You know, I think it it's always going to look different for everybody, but it's important to not let that keep you from getting started. Yes, I 100% agree. It was fun. I recently had a girls trip with my mom and my sister and sister-in-law and we were talking about just giving and and mm-hmm. what that's looked like in our past. And I feel like everyone has a story and I, I think a lot of women struggle with money mindset. Like I'll give when I have enough or mm-hmm. I, I'll, I'll finally, you know, make that impact when I have this amount of money. And I remember as a little girl, my mom would give us an allowance every week. I think it was $3 and we had three jars and one was for savings. Saving. One was mm-hmm. for spending and one was for giving. Wait, and I'm pretty I sure Lauren's that. mom did this too. Oh my gosh. Well, uh, they so probably you guys read are meant to be friends. <laughs> exactly. And I was like, it was beautiful because she would give us the three dollars, and mm-hmm. then we as children had to put one dollar in each of the jars and we could mm-hmm. watch them accumulate. And it was just beautiful to like see how my mom helped influence like the idea of giving and the notion of giving, even Mm -hmm. when you felt like you didn't have much. Because I think a lot of times we can set these weird guidelines or parameters or milestones of I'll give when and it's like, Mm -hmm. it's never too early to start. I think that's such a great thing to teach your children. And I think that's such a great example of really, there's no place too small to start. Yes. Amazing. Okay. So now that we've talked about how you were changing women's lives, what kind of challenges did you face in building a product-based business with this mission? I feel like there's got to be roadblocks and obstacles along the way. I mean, there's so many roadblocks. <laughs> I, I would say most businesses are product first, right? It's yes. all about how can we get the product as cheaply as possible, as quickly as possible, have the biggest margin as possible. 
And ours is kind of the opposite of that, which is a very challenging business model. And it's challenging to get product. So everything from, you know, we really put people before the product. So if it's going to take someone a really long time to knit these beautiful handmade stuffed animals, that's okay. We'll wait six months for the order. Whereas a typical company would say, no, no, I need these next month. Stop everything you're doing and hire more people and get me this stuffed animals. But what they don't realize is that means that those people that were hired on really quickly also have to be fired really quickly. And we're all about doing things sustainably. And we want to have, you know, support sustainable jobs. Because that's all part of how do we do more good than harm. So that's kind of one example of a challenge is the lead times can be very long because we don't, you know, we don't rush anything. We can say we'd love to have the product by this date, but it's not a make or break and they still get paid whether they meet the deadline or not. So that's a big one. Another one is, I mean, (laughs) there's so many. We're always looking for new people to partner with, new artisan groups, but we're very specific in what we're looking for. You know, we're members of the Fair Trade Federation, so we follow fair trade principles, which include everything from, you know, paying fairly and promptly, making sure it's a safe work environment, no child labor, all things that all of us would want to be supporting. But that means we have a very serious vetting process and that can take a long time. And even that vetting process can be a burden on the people we're trying to help. So we're always trying to figure out how to do better, but we need to make sure that all the products we're selling are things we feel good about. So sometimes that onboarding process can take a while. And then even just the sampling process can take a while because again, we don't, we don't rush the makers. You know, if they have other orders that they're already working on, then our sample might not be prioritized. I mean, we let them run their own businesses how they see fit and we just do our best to support them. Wow. I mean, when you think about it, did you say you have 80 artisan groups? We're at 70 now. We're in product development with more. So 70 is the number that's represented by what products are sold on the site. Okay. So you basically are running 70 businesses. Well, 71 if you count the little market. We're, we're partnering. Yeah. Yes. We're but partnering when you think with about 70. That. We're definitely not running them. I would never be able to do that. But, but, no, that's but even... if you think about you're working with 70 entrepreneurs who are creating and creative, who are having family lives and real life happen. And mm-hmm. I mean, that's crazy. It's a lot. And it's more than 70 entrepreneurs because some of these groups are as small as five people where others are as many as a thousand. So it's thousands of individuals. It's amazing. Okay. So since we're talking about this astronomical number, do you have any systems or processes that you've added later in your business that you wish you would have started with day one? Yes. I mean, I think everything from one of the biggest challenges has been as we've scaled, because early on when there were only eight groups to shop from, we would buy as much as possible from them because it would be bringing on an entirely new category, if that makes sense. So as we brought in glassware for the first time, we bought it in all three of the colors that were available and almost all of the styles because we were so excited to have that. But by applying that same buying strategy to all of these groups, we ended up with too many SKUs. Does that make sense? We were so eager to be able to support people, try something new, whether it's a hamper or this style of pillow that we would bring them on. And my instinct was always, well, let's try them in lots of different colors so we can see what our customer responds to. But then we ended up with just too many different types of product and it was feeling a little bit less curated. And I think the customer shopping experience became a little confusing. So I think 
we've now kind of pivoted to a more slow and steady approach, where even if it takes us longer to get the product exactly where we want to be, or we where we want it to be, that we're willing to wait to make sure that then we can just buy more units of that one product rather than trying it in six different colors to see what everybody likes best. Just really going more with our gut of which we think will perform the best. Oh, I love that. And I cannot imagine. Do you guys have a giant warehouse? Like how do we you do track of all we of this? do? We have a giant we do our own warehousing and fulfillment, which is also something that's pretty unique. Most people outsource that now. But because each of our products is handmade, there's different arrival times, things are coming from all over the world to us. It's just we found that it's easier to do it in house and our team cares so much about the product. And that was really important to us too. I love that. I feel like when you can hold that tangible product Mm -hmm. in your hands and imagine the person that created it, it gives like an emotion that's like unlike anything else where you could so easily lose that if you outsource that piece. Absolutely. And yeah, I mean, our warehouse team is incredible and we are so lucky to have people that are so mission driven and excited to be able to support these artisans. Whoa, what a season we're in right now. Before I say anything else, let's all release the tension in our shoulders and exhale the breath that we've been holding in. Okay, are you with me? I've been up every night and early every morning jotting down ideas and configuring new ways to help you because you have new problems to solve and because I simply love supporting you. So this is my little moment with you to help you do exactly that. Just solve some of your problems, move into a place where you can see hope and clarity again. I created an entirely free 10-page guide to help you survive this season, and it gives tangible, actionable steps for you to take by business type. It includes 30 ideas for Instagram posts. It gives templates to help you communicate and so much more. Get this free guide at jennacutcher.com slash smallbizsurvival. We are all in this together, just like they sang in High School Musical. So get the 10-page small business survival guide at jennacutcher.com slash smallbizsurvival. I know, I know things are crazy and unpredictable, which is actually why now is the best time to start your email list. If you've been wishing you had a way to reach your clients, your paying customers and fans with important information at the click of a button and without having to worry about algorithms, then this is for you. Are you up for a challenge? I built out a free mini course with templates ready and tech taken care of that will lead you through a five-day workshop to take your list from zero to 250 subscribers. In a time where there's a lot of uncertainty, you can be directly speaking to your people via their inboxes and offering up your services, resources, and the support that they need right now. Can you commit just 4% of this week to getting yourself results and following through? That's literally one hour a day, Monday to Friday for one week to get big results. Are you ready? Sign up for free at listbuildchallenge.com. That's listbuildchallenge.com for my free email list building challenge. I'll see you on the inside. Okay, so let's talk about the nonprofit world. So yes. what are some common misconceptions about starting a nonprofit? Because I it almost feels foreign to me. I think some people don't know how hard it is to start yeah. a nonprofit and how much it requires. Because nonprofits, they're looked at differently. I feel like in many ways, we have to hold ourselves to a higher level of accountability, which is fine because that's kind of how we operate anyways. But there's just other constraints. So even for example, when we do a nonprofit for-profit partnership, even if it's like an Instagram giveaway, 
by nonprofit ruling, we have to always be the beneficiary, which it sometimes is confusing to partners because they're like, oh, but we should be doing equal work. And, and we're not actually allowed because we're not allowed to use our nonprofit status to help a for-profit money make money. Does that make any sense? Yes, 100%. <laughs> so that's one example. In general, I would just say nonprofits have a lot more paperwork. And there's just, there's different things you have to be accountable for. I think with the nonprofit world too, it's like sometimes confusing to people where you're like, okay, so how does this actually work? And where does the money go? And how does it actually support other people? Do people ask you a ton of questions? Yeah. I mean, so because we're a nonprofit and a store, it's incredibly confusing to people. (laughs) I think a lot of people think that nonprofits don't have any costs, that they don't have operating costs, that everything's given to them for free. You know, so I've had people not understand that nonprofits have to still pay rent or pay employees, pay for computers, like all of the same costs you have with a business, a for-profit, you have those with a nonprofit as well. Then, you know, one of the advantages of being a nonprofit or one of the differences is that nonprofits can receive donations, whereas for-profits, if they're public, can receive investment money. So that... Of course, you know, we're able to fundraise and receive donations, which is really exciting because it can help our operations grow. But it definitely, yeah, we find that people are often confused about how are you in store and a nonprofit? What does that mean? As far as (laughs) where the money goes for us, you know, we have to cover our operations costs and then anything extra is invested into product purchases. We don't give out money. It's all about, you know, going back to teach someone to fish. We purchase products at a fair price that we work with the artisans to set. So we don't haggle or negotiate like you might when you're traveling in a marketplace. Um, We actually sit down or or do a Skype call and say, you know, how long did it take you to make this? What was the cost of your materials? Did you have to pay for childcare? Did you have transportation costs for the materials? What were all of your costs? And let's set the price based on that. Because oftentimes we're working in communities where the artisan women are illiterate or don't have math skills. So they've never actually been taught by anyone how to set a price in a way that they can make any profit from it. So that's part of what we hope to do as well is always make sure that people are actually making a living from the products they're selling us. Do you have any stories that you'd be willing to share of any of the artisans and just how their lives have transformed with working with the little market? Because I'm sure you have some amazing stories. Yeah. I mean, the one that always, you know, is top of mind is on a trip to Guatemala, we visited an artisan group that was making friendship bracelets for us, just really simple bracelets. And the women shared with us that because of the income from something as simple as these bracelets, domestic violence had gone down significantly in their households. Wow. These are communities where that's very prevalent. And now that women were earning their own income, they had more power in the household. They were also then allowed to do stuff like start visiting neighborhood villages to buy more materials. So they they had more freedom because of this. And then one of the things that always keeps Lauren and I going is that when women are in charge of their own income globally, they invest in their daughters and their kids. So everything from better quality foods to education, you know, all over the world, there's a a lot of school fees that could be as low as just a few dollars. But if you don't have the few dollars, you can't send your kid to school. And so typically, if a family can afford to send a kid to school, they send their son and not their daughters. And that's part of why there's just this huge gap with women being set back all over the world. 
But once women have their own income, they choose to send their girls to school too. And to us, that's where everything changes and we can really break the cycle of poverty and see women thrive. Oh, that's beautiful. That's so cool. And I've seen a lot of that firsthand when we've done our travels and worked with different nonprofits, how true all of that can be. It can feel so little and insignificant, Mm -hmm. but it can make all of the difference, which is incredible. Like we are so lucky and privileged to have Mm -hmm. the opportunities that we have and to be able to extend those opportunities through our passions, which is amazing. Yeah, we are so lucky. Okay, so I want to know, out of curiosity, what it's like having a partner. A lot of the guests that we interview on this show have started and founded and they've created their own businesses. But having a co-founder, walk us through kind of what that looks like and how you two work together and bring your different gifts to the table to create the ultimate end product. Yeah, I feel so fortunate to have a co-founder. I think that it can be running a business or an organization is incredibly overwhelming at times. And every new thing you take on is new. And so there's so much you don't know. So to be able to share that with someone else, bounce ideas back and forth is really key. From the early days, we actually, Lauren and I put together kind of a chart of who would do what based on kind of our skill set. And that has been so helpful because there was just an understanding from the beginning of what responsibilities would fall to who. And so that has made this partnership really easy because everybody knew what to expect from the beginning. But it's, it's really exciting. It means, you know, when there's wins, you get to share them with someone. When there's challenges, you get to share those with somebody. Um, I can't imagine doing this without Lauren. Oh, I love that. And I think having a co-founder is just such a gift. Like you said, entrepreneurial and like all of these endeavors can be so lonely. So mm-hmm. I hope that you guys celebrate and cheers some champagne every now and again. We do. We do. That's amazing. So we're at the start of a new decade and it's just kind of a crazy feeling, but what is exciting you these days? What are you guys working on? What are you working towards? What's on your 2020 list? I mean, for us, it's always kind of, I mean, the website's always, we're always improving that, always trying to stay as up to speed as we can on new trends and new technology. So that's exciting product. We have so much product that's getting sampled right now that we can't wait to share with our customers. We really, one of our 2020 goals is to be able to bring on as many as 10 new products from each of our artisan groups. So with 70 on board, that would be as many as 700 new products this year. We'll see, you know, fingers crossed that we can pull that off because I shared some of the challenges with you. But yeah, really being able to bring on new categories that we've never offered before. We're hoping that really be able to offer people a place where they can register for weddings and celebrations where they could really shop anything for the home. Mm, and know it's going to be huge. Yeah, just to be able to have a place to go for your home where you know you can feel good about every single purchase. One thing that I'm curious about and something that I really respect about the work you guys do is is your commitment to preserving the culture. Can you just share a little bit about why that's important to you and how you do that with your artisans? Yeah, absolutely. For us, when we give design feedback, we always want to make sure we're preserving the culture and preserving the amazing skills that have been passed down from generation to generation. There's so much tradition that can be in something like a woven textile, just from the skills to the actual symbols that are going in there. And that's something that we really love about each product. So often when we come in with something like that, we'll just say, you know, 
Blush is a color we do really well with. So please do exactly what you're doing, but let's switch the pillow size to a 20 by 20 because 19 by 19 is a little random for the US market. And instead of doing 10 colors, let's try two. So we really try to just keep our feedback to design trends that don't impact the culture or of the product. Mm, I love that. I think it's so important. It is. And it's, you know, these skills are so incredible. I mean, when you watch women weave and they are not even looking anymore because they've done it for so long, it's really incredible to see that. We actually did a trip to Thailand and we were so excited to see some of these textiles that we've loved and seen online for years and years. And while we were there, people were sharing with us that even the locals were no longer buying the handmade versions because they could get a made in China version for cheaper. Wow. And with that, I mean, generations of traditions are just disappearing and that skill set and that job opportunities going away. So you really see that it, it can have a huge impact when something that beautiful disappears. Mm. It sounds like you've had to do a ton of research and investigating and feet on the ground work in order to set all of this up to make it have the impact that it does and to really empower people. What has it looked like over the years as you've kind of journeyed through just doing that over and over and over again? That's a good question. I I feel like everything's always changing as far as, you know, I know two days of mine never look the same, <laughs> although I am always trying to be more structured. It never seems to happen. So our first tire, Caitlin, is really been a lifesaver for us. I had met her at Human Rights Watch, which is a premier nonprofit organization dedicated to investigating, exposing human rights abuses and holding those people accountable. And so Caitlin is also an incredible researcher, and she is now actually on the board of the Fair Trade Federation. So both with her nonprofit background at such a premier organization, plus this position at the Fair Trade Federation, she really makes sure that we're always up to speed with whatever changes are happening just in the nonprofit space or in the fair trade space, and making sure that we're always doing things as best as possible. Amazing. Oh my goodness, Hannah, where can everybody find your shop, enjoy all of the beautiful things and support your mission? Give us all the places that we can connect with you. Thank you. You can find us at thelittlemarket.com and of course on Instagram at thelittlemarket and Pinterest and Facebook as well. And yeah, we hope you come shop and fall in love with some of the pieces and the people who make them. I feel like we need to change a name to the big market because you're not so little anymore. <laughs> oh, Maybe thank one you day. so much for coming on the show today and for sharing your story. And let's leave one closing thought. If somebody's listening to this and they're thinking, okay, I'm not going to start my own nonprofit, but I do want to make a difference. Can you give a few tips on how we can do just that? Absolutely. I think giving back looks really different for everybody. One of my favorite sayings is that everybody has time, talent, or treasure to share. So I think figure out what that means for you. If you have some extra free time and can volunteer at an animal shelter and that's what you love, then I think you should do that. If you have no time, but you have some extra income, then you could share that. If you have a special talent that an organization could use, for example, if you're a photographer, then you could donate your photography skills and really help nonprofits share their story. There's so many ways to give back and each is going to look different for everyone. So I think find what calls to you and then decide which of those three things, time, talent, or treasure you have to share 
and then start researching what nonprofits sound good to you. Oh, that's amazing. What a beautiful charge to leave our community with. Thank you so much, Hannah. Thank you so much for having me. The second we hung up the phone, I said, oh my goodness, Hannah, it's a lot of work to do what you do. And she laughed and she said, yes, it is. When I think about every piece that goes into creating their nonprofit and and every little decision that is not so little and it makes a big impact, it can be a big responsibility and a big weight to uphold all of those standards that you've set for yourself. I'm so grateful for people like Hannah who feel so empowered to do that work. And I think we as a human race can do a better job of supporting and impacting and figuring out what giving can look like in our own lives. I feel like I'm challenged in that every single day. I want to get up and make an impact on the world so that I can make a greater impact on the world. Make sense? Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Gold Digger podcast. I am so, so thankful to be able to be in your earbuds today. Until next time, Gold Diggers, keep on digging your biggest goals. I'm over here giving you a virtual high five because you just finished another episode of the Gold Digger podcast. Did that go by way too fast for anyone else? If you want more, head over to golddiggerpodcast.com for show notes and all the discount codes from today's sponsors. And if you're looking for a new crew of movers and shakers like you to bounce ideas and ask questions, be sure to join my exclusive community for gold diggers on Facebook. The link's waiting for you at golddiggerpodcast.com. 